Hello, and welcome to Fast Pass to the Past, the Theme Park History Podcast, Episode 5. host Austin Carroll. I'm a huge history nerd, a former Disneyland cast member, and a current annual pass holder to both Disneyland and Universal Studios Hollywood. I want to also mention that I'm a Floridian at heart, so I grew up in Florida, not too far from Orlando. So that brings us to what we'll be talking about today. Thank you so much for listening. We have a really interesting episode filled with backstabbing, contentious rivals, and Steven Spielberg being stuck on his own ride for hours. So it's pretty fun. It's actually going to be my first two-part episode because I kind of fell down a rabbit hole here, guys. So I started researching Universal's Orlando's Jaws which is no longer there, but I started researching the origins behind that ride, and then I started researching the origin behind Universal, and then I kind of fell into a rabbit hole where I also researched the beginnings of Hollywood MGM Studios, which is now Disney's Hollywood Studios, and then Universal Studios Hollywood. So we have a lot of really fun topics today, but today we're really going to talk most centrally about the one of the most innovative and expensive opening day attractions ever to grace a theme park map. Universal Orlando's Jaws and how it was the result of one of theme park's darkest and yet most inspiring periods. The arms race for Orlando between the Walt Disney Company and Universal Studios Hollywood. Without further ado, let's take a deep dive into the origins of the Jaws attraction and to an extent Universal Studios Orlando as a whole to find out why, after over a decade of subsisting in Hollywood on just a studio tour, Universal's newest theme park decided to spend $30 million to build their first attraction. Jaws ride at Universal Studios Florida holds a special place in the hearts of many theme park fans, especially those that grew up in Florida like me. I remember being terrified, scared, and thrilled as a great white shark chased our own Jungle Cruise-like boat. The ride operated for almost two decades, subjecting millions of guests to the terror a giant great white shark, just like the characters in Steven Spielberg's classic movie. Unfortunately, for most theme park fans, Jaws closed in 2012 to make room for the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Diagon Alley. Such was an enduring popularity that furious Twitter users bombarded Universal with abuse, with one proclaiming, and I quote, you've ruined Orlando. However, it has left an enduring legacy of a novel concept, putting theme park guests inside the movies. Ironically, Disney was to blame for pushing Universal into this dangerously competitive direction, and for crafting what is regarded as one of the best theme park attractions of all time. How is that even possible? Well, to tell you, we're gonna need a bigger boat. Before we even get to big white sharks and the complications that arose by using them, we're going deeper to how Universal, a tiny theme park outpost on a working studio lot in Hollywood, ended up in Orlando to begin with. 
It all starts in 1971. As many of you are aware, Disney expanded its theme park empire beyond California with the opening of the sprawling Walt Disney World Resort just outside of Orlando, Florida. There were questions and many naysayers of the so-called Florida Project. The main concern was whether East Coast audiences would take to Disney's specific brand of entertainment. However, they were, they were proved wrong pretty quickly. The resort was notable in that it featured on-site hotels and a focus on multi-day vacations, which attracted a lot of tourists. Meanwhile, Universal and their new owner, the Music Corporation of America, looked on quite enviously. After MCA took over ownership of Universal Pictures in 1962, they had revamped Universal Studios Hollywood and the studio tour just seven years prior. MCA had spent $4 million on a fleet of trams, dining locations, parking lots, and other facilities. Their tour was boosted with set pieces such as a flash flood section and a torpedo attack sequence. By the 1970s, Universal was spending millions on updates to the tour, including the Jaws experience, which saw guests being attacked by a 25-foot-long shark seen in the smash hit movie. This was the obvious precursor for the eventual Universal Orlando attraction. However, it was incredibly simple and did not involve any real rideshow engineering, which Universal had not yet dabbled in, being simply a mixture of a tram tour and shows like the Animal Actors, which premiered in the 1970s as well. In the early 1980s, early designs were probably dating back to 1982, Universal devised a plan for Florida Studios and began looking for investment partners to share the risk. The Florida tour was to be similar to the Hollywood version and would be built around a brand new working production facility. The plans called for a front-locked walking tour as well as a tram tour through the studio's back lot. One set piece, the Hollywood Canyon, would see a tram rolling onto a bridge in view of the Hollywood Hills. A massive earthquake would then strike, causing a dam to crack and the wall of water to pour down towards the tram, which would then escape into an oil field in time for the riders to witness a semi-trailer truck explode after crashing into an oil tank. So this very large set piece called the Hollywood Canyon was pretty expensive to make, so recognizing the risk of the whole Florida project and the large cost of development, MCA and Universal wanted a partner to exist with the Florida project, the second Florida project. Among others, Jay Stein, who was the president at the time, approached Paramount Studios, which was headed by none other than Michael Eisner, which I'm sure a lot of you recognize the name. However, many of these investors expressed concern that a walking tour slash tram tour experience, such as that in place at the time at Universal Hollywood, would not be able to compete head-to-head against Disney on Disney's home turf. Ever the optimist, in 1981, MCA went ahead and purchased 423 acres of land in Orlando on which to build its Florida tour. To the company's frustration, though none of the prospective partners came on board, so the project was halted for the time being, and the company turned to farther improvements for their Hollywood park. In 1986, Steven Spielberg's former college roommate, Peter Alexander, who was a former Disney Imagineer, was working on the King Kong figure that was to be added to the studio tram tour in Hollywood. 
Spielberg was really impressed by the lifelike Kong and asked Alexander to work on design ideas for Back to the Future, the movie he was making at the time. It just so happens that Spielberg's good friend George Lucas was working with Disney on Star Tours and had chided Spielberg that Universal could never produce such a ride. The great success of Universal Hollywood experienced in its first year following Kong's addition to the studio tour in 1987 convinced management to bring the Florida idea back to life. However, they were a bit too late. Remember that CEO of Paramount that had originally pitched the idea to? In 1984, Michael Eisner left Paramount and ascended to CEO of the Walt Disney Company. He was joined by Frank Wells, president, another potential investor the MCA team originally pitched their Florida version to over at Warner Brothers. They were, by all accounts, a force to be reckoned with, Brought in at a crucial time for the Walt Disney Company, when it looked as if, after Walt's death, the company may be split up and sold, they were really hostile in a way that was really a complete departure for the Disney parks, as they had kind of been pretty neighborly. If you want to hear more about that, you can go ahead and listen to my first podcast on Knott's Berry Farms. Since the opening of Epcot in October of 1982, Disney Imagineers had been hard at work designing additional pavilions. Around 1984, they had put together a plan for an entertainment-themed pavilion dubbed, can you believe it, the Great Movie Ride Pavilion for Epcot Center Future World Area. Up until this point, it had not been pursued. However, Eisner was intrigued. He saw an opportunity to stop Universal's plans, I mean, they had already bought the land at this point, by opening an entire full-size Disney theme park themed as a studio, just as Disney had themed Epcot to great success just a couple years prior. In February of 1985, at his very first shareholders meeting, Eisner announced plans for Disney MGM Studios. Now, Disney's plans that were announced at the shareholders meeting were interesting because they bared some really striking resemblances to those for Universal's theme park, pitched three to four years earlier at this point. The main attraction would be a tram tour past four working sound stages, an animation building, backlot sets, and post-production facilities. One of the set pieces to be included in the tour would be a canyon, during which an earthquake would shake the tram, causing fires to ignite, leading to an oil tank explosion and trigger a flash flood. The similarities to Universal's proposed Hollywood Canyon were undeniable. But according to Michael Eisner, he had not taken the ideas from Universal, at least not the original plans that they had pitched. I mean, at this point, they had been operating their studio tram tour for about two decades in Hollywood. So, I I mean, you kind of have to be the judge. Not to be deterred, MCA's CEO, Sidney Seinberg, was more determined than ever to get the project off the ground, especially with the success of their recent King Kong studio tour inclusion. In December of 1986, MCA announced Cineplex Orden Corp., a Toronto-based entertainment company that was pretty much owned by MCA, would be an equal partner in what would now be known as Universal Studios Florida. The so-called Hollywood arms war between Disney and Universal escalated throughout 1986 and 1987. Disney broke ground on Disney MGM Studios on a 100-acre site southwest of the Epcot Center. By this stage, Disney had increased the budget for the project substantially, 
from 300 million to 550 million. However, to everyone's surprise, Steven Spielberg had signed on to the Universal Park as a creative consultant. At this point, he was already well known for creating Jaws and E.T., and this was a huge boon for the fledgling park. It also put him in direct competition with longtime collaborator George Lucas, who was currently working on rides for Disney, including Indiana Jones at Disneyland and Star Tours at the same time. However, I really think that this kind of, they kind of liked being at each other's throats. However, even with competitive Spielberg and a lot of land, Universal was at a crossroads. With a tram tour being the headline attraction of the neighboring Disney park, and thanks to the existence of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which allowed Disney to bypass the normal permitting processes, Disney Hollywood Studios, which at the time was MGM Studios, was a full year ahead of Universal Studios Florida. Simply cloning the Universal Studios Hollywood experience in Florida would leave MGM open to accusations that it had copied Disney instead of the other way around, so they had to do something else. But at this point, <laughs> Universal didn't have rides. I think that's really important to say that Universal was just a studio tram tour. They had never built an actual themed attraction, and they didn't really know where to start. But they had some really ambitious CEOs, and so MCA decided to redesign the park from top to bottom, throwing out many of its original ideas and the tram tour entirely. Through marketing and press releases, MCA attempted to differentiate its park from Disney's, stressing that Universal Studios Florida would be very different. They wouldn't show people how movies are made. Instead, they would put guests inside the movies. And unfortunately for MCA, that meant building some pretty massive attractions for the first time ever. Now, the people who have brought you the magic of Hollywood for over 75 years want to bring it to you like no one else can. To take you inside the heart of a working motion picture and television studio to watch real filmmaking in action and share the secrets, the spectacle, the glamour that have made not only great entertainment, but entertainment history. Universal Studios Florida, premiering in Orlando, spring 1990. It's the greatest Hollywood production ever. When Universal and MCA decided which films would form the basis of their Orlando park, they didn't have to look far, instead choosing to use the main set pieces from the Hollywood tour, such as the encounters with Jaws and King Kong. Strangely enough, Universal undertook these projects having never built large-scale attractions previously. Up until this point, their Hollywood park had only been short effects and stunt shows. Nevertheless, Steven Spielberg's college buddy, Peter Alexander, was the only show designer hired for the Florida project by MCA. And when he told Sid Spielberg at MCA that the rides would probably cost 25 to 30 million each, which is about four times what they spent on the LA version of King Kong, he apparently looked ashen. However, the fearless executives at MCA greenlanded them anyway, even though the so-called design was only represented by Alexander telling the storyline and a bunch of storyboards. Peter was looking to out-Disney Disney, and that's a quote. 
And he later said that we're in an arms race with Disney, and he knew that the only way to win was with with bigger and better weapons. Peter's original idea was to make Jaws just one section of a larger water ride, probably most similar to Storybook Land or like like a terrifying version of Storybook Land. But Jay Stein figured the movie was worth a full ride, and that was one of the executives at MCA at the time. However, it's interesting to note that castle designer Bill Martin, which is the castle designer for Magic Kingdom and Disneyland, made the original plans for Peter's water ride. In the most basic terms, the new Florida Jaws attraction was to be a significantly expanded version of the segment in the original studio tour. In Hollywood, Jaws' great white shark lunges out of the lagoon at the studio tour trams. The Florida version of the experience would instead have riders now board flimsy-looking boats, placing them in much greater jeopardy. In one section, the plans called for the shark to actually grab the boats with its sharp teeth. However, when they went to Source Ride Production Company to partner with MCA to actually build the water-based animatronic heavy ride, it soon became clear that this would be a hugely complicated and really costly undertaking that was not actually unlike the actual movie Jaws, which as many of you know went very much over budget and was a huge technical disaster. Legendary former Disney Imagineer Bob Gurr, then with Sequoia Creative, recalls in his book, which I recommend if you haven't read it, quote, I had no reluctance to decline to bid on giant jobs if I thought the idea was too risky. Once as a VP in a themed entertainment company, I no bid on a monstrous job in Florida that had sharks in it. Gurr's decision proved to be a wise one, although his knowledge, his years of knowledge, would have helped them quite a bit. With Sequoia Creative declining to bid, Ride and Show Engineering Inc., also based in California, won the bid to produce the Jaws Ride Show control system and animatronic sharks. Spielberg himself acted as a creative consultant, although most of the creative work fell on his old buddy, Peter Alexander. All of the team would come to regret the choice to sign on in later years, but we're going to get to that later. In total, MCA spent more than $30 million to produce the Jaws ride, making it Universal Studios Florida's most expensive attraction. However, persuading its mechanical predators to perform for guests on a day-to-day basis was to prove to be an even bigger challenge than the ride's initial construction. And we'll be discussing those troubles and what happened to the original Jaws ride, and yes, the lawsuits that followed, next week in part two. First, I have a brand new segment on the show where I look at current limited edition merchandise and past theme park memorabilia that's going for a lot of money on eBay and auction sites. This week, we're looking at Jaws merchandise that was sold in the park and is now being sold for exorbitant amounts on eBay. On eBay, there is a Jaws shark tooth. The sharks in the original attraction in 1990 did have real shark teeth glued to their mouths. However, this one must have been from the later revamp we're going to talk about next week as it's made of hard rubber. It's actually going for a pretty reasonable, at least in my mind as a theme park person, There's also a skipper training manual out there on the interwebs for $50. My favorite thing that I found online is a 1988 Universal Studios Florida coffee mug. 
At just $25, this mug is so amazing. It features Jaws, King Kong, Ghostbusters, the Bates Motel, and it's super colorful. I won't link to it because I kind of want it for myself, but it does say Universal Studios Florida, but I, I really think this has to come from California because Universal didn't open until 1990. But yeah, so take that with, take with that what you will. The most expensive item I could find was a Jaws window cling. It's a 10-inch plastic shark split in half that goes on your window. It's apparently marked Universal Studios 1989 and was purchased at the Universal Studio during the opening of the Jaws ride. It's currently selling for $212.12. And I'll link to most of those in the show notes if you're feeling a little spendy. And you can find the show notes, as always, on themeparkhistorypodcast.com. And I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. I know two-parters are kind of annoying because you're like, what happens next? Don't Google it. It's not worth it. I'll tell you next week. I really hope you enjoyed our new segment and the kind of beginning of the origin story of Universal Studios Orlando. Email me if you have show ideas, or you can also message me on Facebook. My email is fastpastthepast at gmail.com. And if you love the show and you want to hear more, you should tell your friends and possibly leave an iTunes review. And we'll see you next week to learn about what a fun disaster the opening of Jaws in Universal Orlando actually was. (laughs) 